0: 1984 Elton John released a hit song entitled Sad Songs Say So Much Here are a few of the lyrics from the song for those of you who don't know just don't sing along for those of you who do okay? be too distracting it will take away from the message he says this there are times when we all need to share a little pain and ironing out the rough spot is the hardest part when memories remain. Then he says, it's times like these when we all need to hear the radio because from the lips of some old singer we can share the troubles we already know. Then the chorus goes like this, turn them on, turn on those sad songs. When all hope is gone, why don't you tune in and turn them on? And then he explains why. He says, because sad songs say so much. In this song, Elton John is describing how it is helpful at times for someone who's feeling sad, for someone who's going through a dark and difficult time to listen to an old sad song from someone who's been there. Well, this morning... We are going to learn that the same is true in our spiritual lives. When we are going through dark times, difficult times spiritually, it is helpful for us to hear from other believers who have been there, who have been where we have been, who have felt what we have felt. Guess what? God gives us that in His Word. This book is filled with story after story, letter after letter, psalm after psalm written by and about people who have been there, who have been through what we have been through, they have felt what we have felt they have experienced what we have experienced there are certain writings written in this book about people who have been through the best of times and through the worst of times and and this morning we're going to talk about the latter and we're going to learn as we turn in the book of psalms we're going to learn that not only do sad songs have a lot to say but sad psalms have a lot to say y'all can give me a hard time later about my cheesy title But it's true. Sad psalms say so much. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. Before we begin studying this psalm, it's important for you to know that while the book of Psalms is labeled as poetry, there are various kinds and types of Poetry, various kinds and types of psalms within the book of psalms. There are wisdom psalms, praise psalms, psalms of lament, psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of remembrance, kingship psalms, psalms of confidence. Psalm 130 is a psalm of lament. And these psalms are pretty easy to detect. Lament means an expression of grief. And if you've ever read through the Psalms, you know the psalmists do their fair share of expressing grief. They are numerous and, and obvious, these types of psalms. And I believe that the songs we sing should also reflect this. One thing that I love about the ministry of Matthew Smith and Indelible Grace is that they are committed to reintroduce these old, rich, hymns of the faith to the church and something you find when you begin to read those old hymns you find that they are rich theologically one because a lot of the songwriters were theologians as well but but something else you find is it follows this pattern in the book of psalms there were many old hymns of lament it seems today that we have more just Praise songs today, which is good, because the psalms contain praise psalms, but we also need songs to sing when times are rough, because oftentimes we, we find ourselves there. And the songwriters understood this. They understood the importance of sad spiritual songs and how they minister to the believer. The psalmists, they recognized this as well. That's why we have so many lament psalms. If you're ever reading through the psalms and you come to a psalm that's just sad and gloomy and depressing, if the psalmist is just crying out to God saying, Where are you, God? I, I cried to you. Why have you not heard me? That's a psalm of lament. And there is normally a certain structure that these psalms follow and I want to share this with you because this will help you be able to identify these in scripture and also study them. Look at this structure here for lament psalms. First you have a cry for help. You have the psalmist crying out to God for help. He's in a bad way. Then you have the complaint. This is when the psalmist gives the reason why he's down. Why he's upset. And then in lament psalms, you also have an expression of, of confidence in God. One thing that is consistent with these psalms is while they're written to express grief, they end with, a great, with an expression of great confidence in God. And you certainly see those elements in Psalm 130. So, for the rest of the morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain to you what this sad psalmist is telling us here in Psalm 130. Notice the first thing that he's telling us. Point number one this sad psalmist tells us to cry out to God in the midst of despair. When you are low, when you are down, what are you to do? We learn from the psalmist, cry out to God. Look up to him, cry out to him. Look at verse 1. The psalmist says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Now let's just stop there for a minute, and let me ask you this. How many of you, when just reading verse 1 of this psalm, can relate to the psalmist here? How many of you have been there? Be honest. We all have, right? We've all felt this way at, one way at one time or another. If you're not there now, you will be. Maybe you're here this morning. You're wondering what to do. The psalmist shows us here. He honestly, openly, in all humility, cries out to God. Let me ask you this. How many of you, when you're going through it, when life stinks... And nothing is going right you like to hang out with now be honest with me smiling happy people with the attitude of sunshine and rainbows <laughs> let's say that life is awesome for me right now and their advice to you is hey smile and just put on a happy face when life gets you lemons you know it better be out of striking distance right well here's the great thing about God's Word Though God instructs us and gives us the words to say to him when life is good... He also gives us a psalm to pray, a song to sing in the midst of despair. He gives us the thoughts to think, the words to say. He gives us advice on, on what we're to do when we're feeling down and out, which is important because, again, we often find ourselves right there. In this psalm, it is clear that the psalmist is going through it. He is as low as low can get in the deepest pit of despair. Yet, he does something truly amazing here. While he is above his head in grief, he does something amazing. He cries out to God. He is as low as low can be, yet he looks up and cries out. This is often not our response, is it? When when trials come, when we are down in the depths, one of the most difficult things for us to do is to look up and cry out. Charles Spurgeon understood that when he read this psalm. Look at what he said about Psalm 130 and the psalmist here. Spurgeon said, The depths usually silence all they engulf, but they could not close the mouth of this servant of the Lord. On the contrary, it was in the abyss itself that he cried unto the Lord. May that be our response, believers. Now, how is he able to respond in this way? Well, we're going to learn here in a moment. It's because of his deep knowledge of who God is and what God has done and what he will do that enables this psalmist to cry out to God from the depths. So get this, this is very, very important. An in-depth knowledge of God helps the people of God cry out to God from the depths of despair. Let me say that again. An in-depth knowledge of God helps the people of God cry out to God from the depths of despair. Very, very important. When we're going through it, we need to study God in his word to know how to respond to him. We also learn from the psalmist here that when we do so, get this, this is key and very, very important and comforting when we cry out to God from the depths, He hears us. He hears us from the depths and He listens intently to our request. Look at verse 2. "O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Believers, listen. God hears us when we humbly and earnestly cry out to Him. He is attentive to our, our pleas and He answers. Answers in accordance with his will and in accordance with his character. The psalmist knows that God is a loving and merciful God and will deal with him in a loving and merciful way when he humbly cries out, to him, We'll learn in a moment that the psalmist, along with his people, are in need of forgiveness. They are in the depths spiritually. They are in despair spiritually. Yet he is confident that because God is a God of mercy, he will be merciful to him if he humbly cries out to him for rescue. And guess what? Same is true for us today. God is not changed. When we are in the depths of spiritual despair and we come to the realization of our need of the saving power of God, when we understand that we are in need of forgiveness and restoration, We learn from God's Word that we can confidently look to Him and cry out to Him and trust in Him and trust that He will respond. When we respond in that way, He will respond in turn with mercy. So the the sad psalmist here tells us that when we are in the pit, the depths of spiritual despair, we can and should cry out to God for mercy and He will hear and respond notice what else sad psalmist tells us point number two he tells us that sin should cause us deep despair when reading a psalm of lament an important question that you need to have answered is this why does the psalmist feel the way that he feels Why, why is he expressing grief here what's he going through well We've already talked about it in this psalm in the previous point. He's got a spiritual problem. That's why he makes this plea to God for mercy. The psalmist is in deep despair because of his own sinfulness. Look at the first part of verse three. He says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? He says, Lord, if you dealt with me the way I deserve, I would be sunk. I would not be able to stand before you. I would be pronounced guilty as charged. You would throw the book at me. If you dealt with me in accordance with my sin, you would condemn me, you would curse me, you would cast me out, you would send me to hell. The psalmist is wrestling with and is burdened by the biggest, deepest problem we face in this life, the problem of sin. And folks, hear me, believe me when I say that it is a big problem. That should concern us greatly. We should be deeply grieved over our own sinfulness. And if you're not, there's something wrong with you. You need to do some business with God this morning. Because here's the problem with the problem of sin. People don't see it as a problem. And that's a problem. It's true. Many believe that mankind, and you hear this all the time in the world today, is inherently good. They agree more with uh, singer-songwriter Sarah McLachlan than Merle Haggard. Let me explain. Sarah McLachlan once sang, we are all born innocent, and believe me, we are still innocent. Whereas Haggard sang, I turned 21 in prison, doing life without parole. No one could steer me right, but mama tried. Scripture sides more with Merle on that. I bet you never thought you'd hear me say that. Huh? Quoted George Strait last week, Merle this week. I guess Willie's coming up next week. <laughs> don't, don't hold your breath. All right. But it's, it's true. Scripture is clear. We are not born innocent. We are born guilty and criminal. David said it in this way. He said, in sin did my mother conceive me. And Scripture is clear that, that if sin is not properly dealt with, it will destroy us spiritually. And, and get this, though we think that being in the depths is a bad place to be and we want to avoid it at all costs, for you to truly experience joy in this life, you must first land in the pit of of spiritual despair. For you to be saved, you must first be grieved by your own sinfulness. You must land where the psalmist does here. If you've never dealt with your sinfulness and your need for rescue, you will never call out to and cling to the great rescuer, the great savior, King Jesus. And for those of you believers in here that think you're off the hook on this point. Think again. Let me tell you, you too need to be grieved by your sin. If you are not mindful of your struggles, you cannot move forward in faith and be all of who God has called for you to be in Jesus. This is why the Puritans used to pray for tears. They would pray for tears that God would break them because of their sinfulness and the reason why they wanted tears for, for their sin is because they desired to grow in godliness. So this is the second truth we learn from this sad psalmist. The sad psalmist tells us that sin should cause us deep despair. Third point. The sad psalmist also tells us God's salvation gives us confidence in the midst of despair. Look at verses 4 through 8. He says this, But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities though the psalmist here is deeply burdened by his own sinfulness and 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 the wickedness of his people we also see here that he has great confidence in the god of salvation he has great hope in his great word he knows the character of god from his word he knows that god is a god of mercy from his word he knows that god is a god of grace from his word he has learned these truths from studying god's word and in response to god from these truths in his word he trusts him he places his faith in him he says in verse 3 lord If my being right with you is on my shoulders, I'm sunk, and so is everybody else. But he said, with you, there is forgiveness. He says, though I'm deeply troubled, seriously bothered by my own sinfulness, I know. How does he know? Again, from God's Spirit, revealing the truth from God's Word. He says, I know that my salvation, I know that your forgiveness is not based on my deserving of it. That's why the psalmist could express great confidence here. He says, though I'm in the pit, I will wait on the Lord. My soul waits on the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Now, this imagery here is familiar to us, right? We talked about this, actually, when we were studying through the book of Habakkuk. You see this imagery of a watchman used again and again in Scripture. A watchman was one who was appointed to keep lookout for approaching danger and the toughest times to do this was through the night it was the most dangerous of times as well at night a city was most vulnerable and there were four separate times when four different watchmen would would keep watch and the psalmist here is speaking of this last watch of the night before the dawn These watchmen, they would look out with great longing, but also with confidence, with certainty that that sun was going to rise. They had their eyes fixed for the first spot of daylight. And when the sun would rise, they would rejoice as the dangers in the dark would fade The psalmist says here, he waits for the Lord and his great salvation in this way. God promised to bless the nations through his Messiah. And the psalmist here, his eyes are fixed. Like that watchman in the fourth watch of the night, his eyes are fixed for the Savior to come. And when Christ came, believers, light broke forth through the darkness. It was the dawning of a new day. Because of the coming of God's Son, there is now forgiveness and rescue for sinners. This psalmist here is eagerly and confidently looking forward to that great day of salvation promised by God. Think about it for just a moment. Listen, if sin is our greatest problem in life, and the salvation that God provides is the greatest gift for sinners. And because that is true, because sin is our biggest problem, salvation is God's greatest gift to us, because that is true, listen, His gospel is the greatest message on earth. You can just easily follow that logic, right? In verses 7 through 8, the psalmist shares. Of this great gospel message with this people, which should be our response as well, right, believers? He shares of this great and glorious salvation that God will bring, and he calls for them to place their faith in the Lord as well. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. In addition to the psalmist being brought up from the depths of spiritual despair by a merciful God, He also calls for his people to look to and hope in God as well for their salvation. Notice he appeals to God's character once again to assure them that if they will look to God, if they'll hope in God he will rescue and save them. Why? Verse 2, because God is merciful. Verse 7 With the Lord there is steadfast love and with him plentiful redemption. With God there is forgiveness from every sin. With God there is salvation. With God there is complete restoration and again which which work of redemption is the psalmist talking about here when he says the Lord will redeem Israel we know that God saved his people many times right he delivered them from Egyptian bondage he restored them after years in Babylonian captivity what does he mean when he says the Lord will redeem Israel well notice the second half of verse 80 answers that for us. He says, From all his iniquities. You know, and I know that only happens because of Christ. Christ came to save us from sin. The angel of the Lord told his father Joseph in Matthew 1 that he was to name his son Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. When Jesus appears to John the Baptist, John the Baptist says of Jesus, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Only Jesus can forgive sin. Only because of his person and work is forgiveness of sin possible and only when he returns again will sin be removed completely from his people forever and he will wipe away every tear. While the details of this great work were concealed a bit from this psalmist, God's great promise of a Messiah to come in salvation for his people is what gave this psalmist hope in the midst of despair. Believers, Our confidence in the God of salvation should be even greater than the psalmist. Do you realize that? You know why? Because we've seen the full scope of it. At that time, the greatest reference point that the psalmist had when it came to God's great work of redemption was the Exodus, Israel's deliverance from Egyptian bondage. We can go to the cross. So though the psalmist could go to the exodus in Egypt when considering God's great mercy and grace and love, we can go to Calvary. Though the, the psalmist can look at the sacrifices Moses made to intercede for his people, we can look at the sacrifice that Jesus has made acting as our great imperfect go-between. Though the psalmist can look at the great work God did in and through Moses for Israel's redemption, we can look at the great work Christ has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. When we are in the depths, we can confidently look to the cross, to the one sent by God to us, to the one who endured the, the toughest of trials for us, to the one who sunk to the lowest of depths for us, to the one who went through the darkest of seasons for us so that we might not have to. Folks, do you realize what Jesus has done for you? You realize how far he has condescended down in order to redeem us? He left the riches of heaven for us. He did not cling to his status and all the benefits of deity. He took the form of a lowly servant. He was despised and rejected by men. The purest of all to ever live was betrayed and denied and tried and beaten and mocked and hung between thieves on a shameful cross For us, He paid the ultimate price for us. Death and judgment He endured for us so that we might not have to. You want to have a hope that transcends your circumstances. You want to have a confidence that does not waver through the toughest of trials and the darkest of storms. Then I urge you, if you have not, place your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation. You're going to have an opportunity this morning, if you have not, if you're not trusting in Christ. When I'm finished praying, Matthew Smith is going to sing one more song for us. He's going to lead us in singing on Jordan's stormy banks. And as he does, I urge you to consider the great love God showed for us in sending his son to live and die and rise for us. And if you're here this morning, you're not trusting in Christ alone for salvation, I pray today be the day you forsake your sin and bow the knee to King Jesus. Would you pray with me?